0: Amen. Lord, that's our heart. What a privilege it is that we can draw near to you. We can praise you and worship you and know you in an intimate way. Lord, we pray right now as we go to your word that you would minister to every heart that is here. Again, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. amen. God bless you. Good to have you here at Calvary Chapel. Hope you feel welcome. If it's your first time here, if you, got, if you know the Lord, we've got Jesus in common and we're family. Amen. No membership at Calvary Chapel, you show up, you're part of the family, we have the Lord in common. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, before we look at the Word, and raise your hand, if you don't have a Bible, you're going to need one, so raise your hand, read the book, don't wait for the movie, amen, so you need a Bible, so get your hand up. All right. as you're turning in your Bibles, before we look at the Word this morning, we're going to do something that I absolutely love, which is we're going to dedicate... Another baby to the Lord. So if the Webb family will come on up, we've got mom and dad and grandparents and aunts and uncles and come on up. Are these the most dapper looking little boys you've ever seen in your life or what? Buy their clothes the same store as their dad, I think. (laughs) Those of you who don't know, this is uh, Chris and Karina Webb. Uh, Chris is one of our pastors here, he's a total blessing to our body. And this morning, we're going to dedicate Ethan to the Lord. You come see me, bud? All right. Now, how handsome is this guy? He's looking more GQ than me. Look at him. Like this vest. Hi, handsome. Hi, buddy. <laughs> well, let's pray together as we dedicate him to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord for your love and your grace. And I just thank you, Lord, for Ethan. Lord, we know that you are the one that knit him together in his mother's womb. We know, Lord, you're the one that placed him in the Webb family. And, Lord, we dedicate his little life to you right now. Father, we pray that he would grow up to be a mighty young man of God who would serve you with his whole heart. Lord, I pray for Chris, Lord, and as he is a father of these three wonderful boys, that, Lord, he would be a Christ-like example in his home that Ethan would be able to look at his dad and see what a godly man looks like, that he would follow the pattern that he sees in his home. Lord, I pray for Karina as well, that you would just anoint her with your spirit. Lord, and again, that they would be able to look at his mom and just see what a godly woman looks like, the pattern for the type of woman he would want to marry someday. And Father, I just pray your blessings on their entire home and your hand be upon them. Lord, I pray, Lord, also for a hedge of thorns of protection, Lord, as often in a pastor's home, the enemy comes against them. And Lord, I just pray you protect them and watch over them. May you continue to bless them as a family. And so, Lord, we just thank you for Ethan. We pray for his health. We pray you protect him, Lord. We pray he would grow to love and serve you with his whole life. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're a good boy. (laughs) They're clapping for you. (laughs) God bless you guys. God bless you guys. God bless you (laughs) too praise the lord i love kids and i love it even more when they're being raised in a christian home amen, amen. that's a great thing it's a great thing well second corinthians chapter one we're going to pick up where we left off last week a couple quick prayer requests i want to make you guys aware of many of you know as a youth pastor in southern california at one church for almost 10 years i got a lot of calls this week it kind of breaks my heart that the that some stuff going on in the body and basically the pastor's gone in a different direction and there's a the church is without there's a bunch of sheep without a pastor right now and it just breaks my heart kids are in my youth group I got a a lot of phone calls this week so be praying for Calvary Chapel of Antelope Valley I'd really appreciate it my heart is that we can help them any way that we can they're going to be looking for another pastor I'm not going okay I'm staying but I, I may go down and help them for a while I just have a burden for them it just breaks my heart to think of hundreds of of sheep without a pastor. So be praying about that. Second of all, be praying as we are, at least in the the time now, we're looking for a building. Okay, we love it here, don't we? Amen. We love the gym. Praise God for the gym. It's a good thing. But as we continue to grow as a body, we're starting to run out of parking and things like that. And we can be here for a little while longer, but you don't want to wait until, you know, everybody's going home because they can't find a place to park before you look for another place. And so we are looking, we're praying. I just Appreciate your prayer for that. Where God guides, God provides. He's faithful, amen? And then, you know, it's his church. As he grows it, he'll provide for it. So it's all in his hands, amen? So just be praying about that. All right. With that being said, we're going to pick up in verse 8. But before we do, I want to just catch you up real, real quickly. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians was written by Paul to the people of Corinth. If you've been coming to church here, you know that Corinth was one of the most, if not the most, wicked city on the planet. A city filled with sexual immorality, a city filled with idolatry, a city that was caught up in the vain philosophies of men. And so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians back to the people that were in the church because he got word that came to him that the people in the church were starting to become like the world. They were becoming more like the world and they were having an impact on it. And so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians as an exhortation for them to get their eyes back on God. He also answered questions about divorce and marriage and sexual immorality and brothers suing each other. And basically, it was, again, an opportunity for them to repent and return to the Lord. Well, 2 Corinthians is written sometime later. After they received 1 Corinthians, praise God, many of the church, the Christians in the church repented. And they got their eyes back on the Lord and they started to serve God. But within that group, there were those who who did not not only did not repent, but brought accusations against Paul. They said, oh man, Paul's out of his mind. These things that Paul's telling us, we don't have to follow that. And, and you know what, there's nothing new under the sun, as we've said before. There are those today that don't like what Paul's letters say, so they say, well, Paul's out of his mind. But I want to make sure that everybody in this room knows that the Bible is 66 books written by 40 authors, right? on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. And how is that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen? And He wrote every single chapter. And so we don't say, well, these are in red letters, so Jesus said it, so that's more valid. I believe that. But if Paul said it, well, that's what was happening then and that's what's happening today. And that's why there are many people who are picking and choosing through God's Word. You need to take it all or forget it all. And praise God, we believe in every single word. Amen? So Paul's writing 2 Corinthians to answer some of the accusations. They were accusing him of being fickle. They were accusing him of being, uh, you know, undisciplined. They were accusing him of not being a man of His word. They accused him of, of a lot of different things and saying that he wasn't even an apostle. And that he wasn't really called by God. And when we're confronted with sin, we can do one of three things. We can make excuses, accuse others, or repent. And they wanted to make excuses for their sin and they wanted to accuse Paul and go after the messenger because they didn't like the message. And I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, you know, it's okay. I've been attacked for the message and that's all right. If if I'm attacked for the message, that's okay. I have no problem with that. If it's my personality offending somebody, then I need to repent. But if the Word of God is offending you, you need to be offended. Amen? Because the cross of Christ is a stone of offense, the Bible says. And we need to... See our sin for what it is and turn away from it. And so, as we began in 2 Corinthians last week, we titled the message and we're going to finish part two of that message Why do Christians have to go through difficult times? Sometimes it's hard for us to understand. I've been born again. I'm a child of the King. I'm a new creation in Christ. Shouldn't I be on the cruise ship to heaven now? Shouldn't everything be perfect? I shouldn't have any more trials or struggles. Some people even preach the gospel that way. You know, if you come to Jesus, you'll never have any more problems. Everything's going to be perfect the rest of your life. You'll be on the cruise ship to heaven. Well, we know better than that because the Bible says, count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. Not if, when. And trials are not a bad thing in the life of a believer. We often respond when we hear that someone's in a trial by saying, I'm sorry. Isn't our usual response? Man, I'm going through a real difficult time. I just lost my job. And certainly we should have compassion. Certainly we should hold up their hands, right? Weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. But can I tell you that trials are when we grow. Trials is an opportunity for God to be glorified and for us to draw closer to Him spiritually. So I'm sorry is not always the right response. Amen? It should be, you're blessed. I lost my job. You're blessed diagnosed with cancer, praise the Lord, you're blessed, amen? Now again, let's have compassion, and you know, if someone's diagnosed with cancer, so we want to pray for them, and love on them, and encourage them, and come next to them, but at the same time, we should not always look at every trial as a bad thing, because the reality is, at the end of it, we're going to be closer to God than the way we were when we began, if we will simply keep our eyes on Jesus, amen? And so, Why do Christians have to go through trials? Last week in verses 1-7, through we saw that we go through trials that we might be comforted. If we never know difficulty, how will we know God's comfort? If we never go through a time of trial and struggle, how can God comfort us? How will we know His hand and His touch of relief from the trial if we never go through one? It's been said that without a test, there can be no testimony. Without a trial, we cannot really be an example to the world around us. It's an opportunity to grow spiritually and it's an opportunity to show the love, grace and peace of God to a lost and dying world. When does the world has its, have its eyes most focused on you? When everything's perfect? You remember what Satan said of Job? Sure he serves you because he's got everything. And people might say that about you. Sure they serve you because they've got everything. Oh yeah, they, you know, they live in a nice house, they're driving a nice car, they've got plenty of money, their family's all healthy, everybody's wonderful, sure they're serving you. But I wonder how they'll respond when things get tough. That's when ministry takes place, when things aren't perfect. And here's the reality as Christians. If you're waiting things, for things to be perfect to have peace, you're not going to have peace very often, because there's always going to be trials, and praise God for trials. I mean, you look at trials differently than when you, when you leave this place. So the first seven verses, we saw that trials come that I may know His comfort, that I may comfort others. This morning, we're going to see that trials come that I may come to the end of myself, that I may not rely on myself and I might be desperate for God. That's the first point. The second point is to give us an eternal perspective. That we would have eyes on the Lord. And then thirdly, that we would have an opportunity to make a stand for God. Trials are an opportunity to stand for God. We can, you know, it's been said you can get bitter or you can get better, right? I mean, we can either grow through it and we can be a testimony in the midst of it or we can run from God. Guys, can I encourage you if you're going through a difficult time right now? Run to the Lord, there's no better place to be. Keep your eyes on Jesus, not on the storm, because in Jesus there's peace. And in the storm there's there's turbulence. Keep your eyes on God. So let's begin in verse 8, picking up where we left off last week. Why do Christians have to go to difficult times? This is Paul addressing people who've made accusations against him, who are saying, You're not even an apostle, you're not really called by God. And so we're going to look, the trials come that we might come to the end of ourselves. Verse 8, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia. Now, it's very clear here that he's not preaching the seeker-sensitive gospel. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact that you're going to go through difficulty as a Christian sometimes, amen? Amen. As in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. But we're in the world, amen? And we will have tribulation. But the difference is that we don't go through it alone, amen? The world goes through it by themselves. They have no hope. They have no you know, promise of the future. We have the Lord. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And He says, I don't want you guys to be ignorant of the trials I went through. I did go through Difficulty. And at the same time, I believe the fact that he stood in difficulty is also a testimony to the people receiving this letter of his true love for God. Now, this could be a reference to many things. More than likely, it's a reference to Acts 19. You guys know what happened there? When Paul was in Ephesus, and he came in, and they were worshiping idols, and he preached against the goddess Diana. And if you remember what happened, they all brought out their witchcraft. Many people got saved, and they brought their witchcraft books out, and they set them on fire. And people were getting rid of their idols, and then all the silversmiths got whipped up because there's our gig. How are we going to make any money? They're burning all the idols, man. No, no one's going to buy any stuff from us anymore. We've got to do something about this. So they got all the people whipped up, and if you remember, the whole city came in, and for two hours they shouted, great is the goddess Diana, great is the goddess Diana. And you can shout a lie as many times as you want, as loud as you want, and it's still a lie. Amen? God is still God. And they shouted it, and they, br- they came and were at a riotous pitch coming against Paul. It could also be referenced to some of the beatings that took place. He talked la- we talked last week about how he had been attacked by beasts and other things that had happened to him. And he's saying, look, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact that walking with God and being sold out for him means that I'm going to face tribulation. And if you walk with God and you're sold out with him, you're going to face tribulation. But praise God. Because again, it's an opportunity for me to grow spiritually and it's an opportunity for me to be a testimony. Paul had to leave Ephesus in haste. Uh, Matter of fact, he thought he was going to die. Look what it says there. That we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. And again, he thought, we're going to die. Now, you know what I love about Paul? Paul, how many times do you think Paul must have thought, I'm going to die? We read it last week, right? When you get scourged, you, you think you're going to die. And you know what? Most people did die from scourging. And he had been scourged numerous times. How about being shipwrecked? How about a day and night in the deep? How about being hungry? How about being cold? How about beasts attacking you? How about riots coming? And I, we've said this about Paul. Everywhere he went, it was a riot or a revival. Or both sometimes. Amen? Everywhere that guy went, he was a fanatic. You know what a fanatic is? You've heard me tell you. A fanatic of somebody, you can't change his mind, and he won't change the subject. And that was Paul. He just kept preaching it, he didn't care what anybody said, and you know what? Every time he thought, I'm going to die. But what I love about Paul is every time he almost died, he didn't quit. He just got more bold, amen? Every time they almost killed him, he said, okay, charge. I'm not dead yet. God's not done with me. Next, right? And that ought to be our heart when trials and tribulations come, that praise God, you're indestructible until God's through with you. Satan can't take me out one second before God says it's okay. And you can't threaten me with heaven. Amen? Somebody shoots me, where am I anyway? So it's all good, right? And so Paul's heart is, yeah, I've almost been dead. I was despairing unto death. But I love the fact that he just keeps going. You know, the pastors that minister the most to me are not necessarily those who are the most eloquent speakers. The guys who've had the greatest impact on my life are guys who I've watched for decades go through trials and difficulty and keep Walking with God. I look at that and I say, praise the Lord. There's, a me- there's someone whose message I want to hear. There's somebody who God has touched. Again, that's why the Bible says, lay hands on new man quickly. We want to watch somebody endure through the midst of difficulty. And Paul did not want them to be ignorant, as we should not be ignorant, that as we walk with God, there will be trials. But, and you know what? The more fruitful your life is, the more the enemy wants to attack you. Remember this. That pruning produces more fruit. When you're bearing fruit, what do they do to vines or bear fruit? They cut them back so they can bear more fruit, right? The world looks at it as havoc, and we see it as pruning. We think that everything's gone crazy, and the Lord says, No, I'm just making you better. I'm just preparing you to bear more fruit in the future. And that's exactly what was happening in the life of Paul. You've heard me say this before that you know, Satan's resources are limited. You know that, right? He's not omnipresent. He's not the opposite of God either. Some people think there's God and there's Satan. No, there's God and then there's Satan, right? Amen? Satan is maybe the opposite of Michael the archangel. He's not all-knowing. He can't read your thoughts. He can't be everywhere at once. He has demons that work with him, but he's, he's a defeated foe. But since his resources are limited, who do you think he goes after? Those who are being used most for the kingdom of God. Satan doesn't even know everybody's name. I'm convinced of that. You know whose names he knows? Those who are being used most mightily for the kingdom of God. You ever thought about that? Do you, do you want to walk so strong with God that Satan knows you by name? you got to think about that for a second, right? How about if I'm right under that list? How about if I'm real, not super, real effective, but not quite that effective, right? You know, I don't want him to know my name. You know what? I hope he knows my name. You know why? Because I, that just means that God's using me. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And we don't have to fear Satan, amen? Amen. And we don't address him either. Let God take care of him, right? I'm just going to share Jesus with people and be salt and light. And Paul's heart was, you know what? I'm not going to be ignorant of what's happened to me. It's been rough, but guess what? It's okay because God's using it for his glory. And count it all joy, my brethren, when we fall into various trials. Again, and you know what else? Along with all the other stuff, do you know that Paul had a thorn in his flesh his whole life? From the time of salvation until he died, he had a thorn in his flesh that he prayed for and he never got rid of. And we don't know exactly what it was. Some people believe it was eyesight. Some other people believe it could be anything. But you know what? He had a thorn in his flesh, and that goes right against this whole faith movement of we tell God what to do, and if we have enough faith, God has to listen. I'm glad that's not my God. How about you? Aren't you glad someone else isn't just telling him stuff and he's got to listen to him? I'm glad he's in charge. Amen? Amen? And so we pray and we ask God, but you know what? Let your will be done, not ours. Verse 9. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. So what's the great part about fearing death? What's the great part about going through difficulty? He says there, what did it do to him? We had the sentence of death. The word there for sentence in Greek is a judicial response or verdict. Paul felt within himself that he was going to die. And he said, but at the same time, look at the blessing, because what did it do? That we should not trust in ourselves. You know, one of the things that we can all be guilty of is we can start to trust in ourselves. We can start to get prideful and trust in our bank accounts or our education or something. Oh, I got degrees on my wall and I got money in the bank and I got this. And we start to trust in our own abilities. God doesn't want us trusting in our bank account or our abilities, He wants us desperate for Him. Amen, And if we need a trial to get us our eyes off of our 401k or to get our eyes off of our abilities that we have and get them on the Lord, then bring on the trial. And Paul is saying very clearly here that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. I believe this is a reference even to say, you know what? They might kill me, but if God wants to, He'll raise me from the dead and I'll keep going. And I believe that's exactly what happened in Lystra. Remember in Lystra, what happened? They took Paul outside the city, and what did they do? They, they stoned him, and, and they don't stop throwing rocks till you're dead. That's what stoning is. They don't, like, stone you to wound, okay? They shoot to kill, and they stone you till you're dead. And we don't have any definite proof of that, but I believe that he was dead, and God said, I'm not done with you, get up, right? And Paul got up, and where did he go when he got up? Right back into Lystra. You've got to like this guy, Amen? Paul, you rock. I mean, literally, right? Stoned, right? But he went right back into the city and he would continue to preach the gospel because you couldn't stop this guy. Why? He had an eternal perspective. His focus was on God. Nothing else mattered. It was just serving the Lord with his whole heart. You know what? When we come to the end of ourselves, that's when we get to the place where there's nowhere else to turn but up. It's where we say, I've had it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I give up. And we think that's a bad place to be. That's a great place to be. It's a great place to be where there's less of me and more of him. John the Baptist, Jesus said of men born among women, none greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. That's a place I believe God brings all of us several times through our lives. How many of you know that you've been at the end of yourself many times in your life? Raise your hand. Praise God. Amen. And at the time, it's no fun. I don't like the end of myself, but it's the best place to be. When our health, our marriages, our children, our finances, things that are beyond our control. But praise God, when He brings us there, it's a place of comfort and a place of growth. When we can't do it, we're completely done. We're at the end of our abilities. When we're done, we become desperate. And we look up and we cry out to God, I can't do it without you. You know, they used to have those WWJD bracelets. Remember those? What would Jesus do? There were some other bracelets that came out afterward. A bunch of my youth group kids were wearing them. When I was down in Southern California and they said frog on them. said, frog, what's up with that frog, right? Was that a new band or something? Who's frog? And they go, no, frog, fully reliant on God. And I like that. That's the place we ought to be, fully reliant on God. Not saying, not even what would Jesus do so I can follow that action. Certainly we want to do that. But the best place to be is at the end of myself, trusting God. Out of my self-confident nature, not trusting in my ways anymore. And God has to bring me there so I will stop trusting in myself. Verse 10. It says there, raises the dead who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that He will still deliver us. The God who has delivered us is delivering us and will deliver us. Past faithfulness of God assures us of future victory. God has, been, has God been faithful to you? So that means we can trust in the fact that He will continue to be faithful in the future. Amen? Has God been a God of His Word? Yes. So can we trust that He's going to continue to be a God of His Word going forward? Absolutely. And so because we've gone through trials and we've seen God's hand, we know that the next trial that comes that God is going to be faithful. And we can be comforted in that. And we can trust in the Lord completely. God has been faithful. He has delivered us from sin, death, and the grave. He's delivered us from past trials and tribulations. God had spared Paul from danger and from death. And you know what? The good news is that we never face these trials alone. Because he said, God delivered me. Paul didn't say, yeah, they stoned me, but I got up. I'm pretty tough. They didn't know who they were dealing with, man. You know what I mean? They throw rocks at some other guy. He might be dead, but not me. I'm a little too tough for that, right? Paul didn't say that, right? Paul came to the end of himself and said, man, by God's grace, he wasn't done with me. And he raised me up. And God alone, be glorified. God has delivered me. Paul knew better maybe than almost anyone that God was going to be faithful and that his life was in God's hands because he had been threatened to die so many times. You know what? I talk to people that have been diagnosed with a death sentence with cancer and God delivers them from it. And I'll tell you what, those people have some faith. Amen? They'll go, hey, wait a minute. Oh, you know, can't, you know, Hey, I lost my job. That's no big deal. I had cancer and God delivered me. How, not having a job is not a big deal, right? And the greater the trials we go through, the more difficulty we go through, the greater our faith becomes. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you guys know one of my favorite stories in the Bible. These three young teenagers come to Bab- take into Babylonian captivity. They're told to bow and, told to, and they won't. We're not bowing. We don't care. And remember what they said. He draws them in and says, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? And he said, you know what? Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to bow. And our God, he will deliver us. And even if not, we still won't bow. And they threw him in the fire, and I love it. Because in the fire, who's with him? Jesus. 600 years before he was incarnated on, on earth, Jesus is in the fire with him. And who is the God that will deliver you from my hands? Turns to, come out, come out, ye servants of the Most High God trials are an opportunity to bring God the glory. Amen? And so God has delivered us in the past. He is delivering us in the present and He will deliver us in the future. In whom we trust, He will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift God granted to us through many. He's praising God for those who, while he was going through difficulty, prayed for him. Do you know that when you pray for missionaries, when you pray for those in ministry, that you share in the fruitfulness and the blessing of that ministry? And Paul's saying, you know what, I may have been the one imprisoned. I may have been the one beaten. I may have been the one attacked by beasts. But I want to thank you that you shared in the ministry because you interceded for me. You know what? I truly believe we're going to get to heaven, and some of the people at the front of the line in heaven, we think Billy Graham's going to be in front, and he'll probably be up there somewhere, but it's probably going to be somebody you've never heard of who spent their life on their knees interceding for people. Amen? Prayer is a great thing, and we can all do that. You might say, So I'm not real eloquent. I can't. We can all pray. Amen? And you know what? Don't think you have to pray with fancy words. Just share your heart with your Father. And Paul knew the value of intercessory prayer. He was never shy to ask people to pray. He'd seen God deliver him, but he still said, pray for me. Please, pray for me. You know what? I, years ago, someone said, what do you want for Christmas? I said, pray for me. Promise to pray for me. I'll take that all day. I, I, don't, I don't need another tie or shirt. Pray for me. Amen? Because that's the greatest gift, right? Pray, intercede on behalf of one another. And the, Christ, the Corinthian Christians who were walking with God were really helping together with Paul when they prayed for him. And again, we often think of the great things God did through Paul. How often do we think about the people that prayed for him? We talk about Paul, what about those people praying for him? Praise God for their faithfulness. Why do Christians have to go through difficult times? That we may experience his comfort? And that we, may become, that we may come to the end of ourselves and be desperate for God. That's where Paul had been brought through his trials and that's the best place to be. You know, we've said this before again that a man or a woman is the only thing that becomes more valuable when broken. Everything else when broken is worthless. We when broken are more valuable to the kingdom of God. We can be used in a greater way. Verses 12 through 14. Why do we go through trials? It gives us an eternal perspective. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. So here's Paul's testimony, his testimony of his conscience. Paul defends himself against the accusations about people saying he wasn't called by God, that he wasn't reliable, but he said, you know what? My calling has caused me to have an eternal perspective how do you know look how he ministered in simplicity and godly sincerity not prideful manipulation for selfish selfish motives as others who portrayed themselves as godly men in paul's lives there, in paul's life there was no hidden agenda there were no hidden actions there were no hidden motives and there were no hidden meanings paul said what he meant and he meant what he said do we need more of that today amen quit trying to What is he trying to say? You ever watch somebody, right? You go to Christian television. What is this guy trying to say? I know he wants my money, but other than that, what's he trying to say? Right? And Paul said, you know what? I live in simplicity and sincerity. He lived in simplicity. And I believe this is a pattern for every pastor, and I believe it's a pattern for every Christian. He was not caught up in the pursuits of the world. He didn't care about fancy clothes, expensive jewelry, big homes, estates, expensive cars. It says of the Levites, they didn't even have an inheritance on earth. You know what? If you don't have an inheritance on earth, you don't have to worry about fixing stuff. You know what I mean? You're not too worried about spending all your time trying to keep this thing together. That's a waste of time. Instead, what did he do? He said, man, I'm, I'm, the things of this world are, are of no importance to me. Now, should we live in a house? Yeah. It's okay to have a house? Yeah, it's okay to have a house. It's okay to have, you know, food and stuff. But possess your possessions. Don't let them possess you. Amen? And don't have a hidden agenda in what you're doing. If you're praying and asking God for stuff because you really want to get stuff, you know, if you're trying to, you're trying to pray by, oh, God, you're so holy, great, awesome, and, and wonderful, and could you give me that car? God sees through that. Did you know that? He's not dumb. I'm going to butter up God, so he'll give me stuff. And Paul's heart was, I'm going to live in simplicity. Now, what does it mean, simplicity? And again, this is the pattern for my life, all right? Pastors should not live in poverty, the Bible says not to muzzle the ox, should be able to feed his family, should be able to take his kids to the doctor, I believe our pastors that surfers should be able to take a vacation, and they shouldn't have to choose between having a family or being a pastor, I know guys who have done that, well, I, I can either be a pastor or I can have children, I can't do both, that's wrong, and we're not going to do that here, I'm just telling you, we're not going to. If someone's called here and they're going to be here full-time, we want to support them enough. Not so they live in a big house on the hill. Not that they live a fancy lifestyle. But not that they run out of food either. Amen? So in simplicity, but not in poverty. Okay? Again, the Bible says those who labor in the Word are worthy of double honor. And again, they shouldn't live in a way where they're having to get a side job so they can do ministry. That's just not my heart at all. And I would rather minister to people than have a big building somewhere. Amen? My heart, and as we pray about a building, I just want you to know, my concern is that obviously having a building full-time is going to cost more money. We don't talk about money here. If you're new here, we don't even pass an offering. Okay? If you want to give, we have boxes at the door. That's it. Why? Because where God guides, God provides. Amen? But at the same time, we don't want to use wisdom because I don't want to be so wrapped up in a building that I can't minister to people. We're just not going to do that. So we want to hear from the Lord, and where God guides, God will provide. But I also want to say this. The pastor shouldn't live above the level the sheep he ministers to either. You don't go into the ministry because it pays well. <laughs> Telling some of you guys, yeah, I'd like to pastor. That's pretty good. Work an hour a week and all well, these people collecting the money to give to you, right? No, that's not what happens, all right? <laughs> ministry is a calling, not an occupation. How do you know you're called? You can't do anything else. Woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. I have to do this. I get to do this. This is a joy of my life. And for almost 17 years, I did it for free. I worked full-time. And I'm blessed now that as the church has grown, and you guys are faithful to give, that I'm able to do it full-time, which is an even greater blessing, because I get to spend more time praying for you and studying to be prepared on Sunday. It's a blessing. And it's a get-to. But it's not a, it's not a, a job. It's, a, it's not an occupation. It's a calling. And those who are called would do it whether you paid them or not. My pastor in San Jose left a church that was thriving to take a church in San Jose that was falling apart, that was indebted up to its eyeballs, and worked for three years without getting paid a dime. That's an easy guy to serve under. Eating out of the food bank and doing whatever, living on the church camp, whatever it takes. Why? Because when you're called, you do it for the Lord and for nothing else. That's why I get concerned when I see guys on TV that are, quote, pastors wearing a $2,000 suit with a $15,000 watch. Something's wrong with that. Amen? That shouldn't be happening. There's no way. Now again, he could be clean, like hopefully, right? Clean's okay. But it shouldn't be flashy, right? And Paul, he says, I minister in simplicity and sincerity. Those who are called by God, again, it's a calling. And as the body grows and and we support those in ministry, again. And I'll say this, every pastor I know, this is a fact, every pastor I know took a pay cut to be a pastor. Every single one of them. And that blesses me. It blesses me when guys come in and say, yeah, Pastor Dave, I'm making this, and I'll take a fourth of that. And we'll sell our house, and we'll move into something more simple, and we'll get rid of the cars, and we'll get rid of the cell phones, and we'll get rid of everything, because this is what God's called me to do, and this is what matters. Because when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Amen? And nothing else is going to matter anyway. And so, in simplicity... Paul, again, he ministered in simplicity. He wasn't trying to build up a kingdom unto himself. If you want to live in an earthly mansion, drive an expensive car, wear expensive clothes and jewelry, dine in fine restaurants, don't go into the ministry. So don't do it. And I know other people, they try to earn up enough money. I want to get $5 million in the bank so then I can go into ministry full time and then I'll still have money. Don't do that either. Because you're just wasting your time chasing the dollar when you should be doing the ministry now. If God's called you, go do it. Amen? Because that's one of Satan's tools. Just keep waiting. Wait another 5, 10 years. 15 years from now when you're financially set, then go into ministry. If you're called, all this world has to offer is nothing in comparison to what God is willing to do in your life. Ministry is a call to simplicity. So we need to count the cost. So not only simplicity, but sincerity. That means he practices what he preaches. He doesn't say one thing on Sunday and go live another way at home. You know, I used to get blasted in San Jose because there was a guy who was pastoring a real big church in San Jose, and when I was still working full-time, people in our office would go out, and they'd go drinking at lunch, and this guy was a pastor being there lit, sitting with four and five women hanging all over him, and they'd come and go, saw your buddy today. I'm like, he's not my buddy. Don't put, right? And the sad thing is, he would get up and preach one thing and live another thing. And the Bible says, he said, I preach with simplicity and sincerity. The words that came out of my mouth were sincere. The word sincere, that original language, means without wax. What does that mean? Without wax. Well, what happened is there were sculptors in those days, and they would make these beautiful sculptures, and they would go to sell them. And some of them would be chipped or cracked, so what they would do is they would melt wax. And they would like, you know, fill in the nose to make it look right, and fill in the eyes, and fill in the back of the head, or whatever the sculpture was, and it looked really good till you took it home and it got hot. And then the wax would melt, and you have a guy with no nose, right, and looking really good. And so sincere means without wax, without anything hidden, without lies, the truth. What you see is what you get. And I believe pastors should be transparent, and I believe as Christians we should be transparent. That what you see is what you get. Yeah, I struggle. Do I struggle? Yes. Do I sin? Absolutely. Do I cover your prayer? Without question. Is my, my marriage always perfect? No. Is my family always perfect? No. Do I sometimes have struggles with my kids? Yes. I do. Why? Because I'm a man in desperate need of a Savior just like you guys. Amen? And so we as a body need to be transparent and be sincere and be the person that we are at church at home. Not, you know, not screaming at your wife until you pull in the parking lot and open the door and say, praise the Lord, brother. God bless you. How you doing? <laughs> so good to see you. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Get in the car. Shut up. What you? Right? Right? <laughs> I'll never forget one time I pulled up to a stoplight in San Jose and this guy is just blasting his wife. I mean, just blasting her. And I pull up in my car and I look over and I recognize him and he's. My window happened to be down. It was a summer day and he's just going off. And then he looks over and sees Pastor Dave. Dude went white. Ah, you know, your sin will surely find you out, right? There it is. I've been on the receiving end of that also, so it's not just there. Alright? So what did he say there? In simplicity and sincerity, the word, be a man who lives within his means, a man who's not pursuant of the things of this world, and a man who's sincere in what he teaches. Not with fleshly wisdom by the grace of God. He's saying, Look, God's not using me because I'm so smart. God's not using me because I've learned all the things the world has to offer. I'm such a well traveled, worldly man. No, God's using him because he's desperate. God's using him because he's sincere. God's using him because he's a man who relies fully upon the Lord. We need more men like that. And more abundantly toward you. You know what he says? And God, because of the way God's made me, I've been ministering to you. You're making accusations against me, and I'm ministering to you. You're saying bad things about me, ripping me, saying bad things about me behind my back. This is what Paul's saying. You're saying I'm not even an apostle, and all I'm doing, I'm doing for God's glory and to minister to you. Verse 13 and 14. For we are not writing any other things to you than that we read or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end, as also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast as you, you are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul's message was delivered clearly, and Paul spoke with no hidden meanings. He meant what he said, and then he looked at them and said, You know what you guys are for me? You're proof of my ministry. You're proof of my... You say I'm not called? How come there's a church there? Amen? Hello? Who was the guy? You know what I mean? Like, this is proof that God's hand is on me, that there's a church in Corinth, because God sent me there. You know, often they'll say, how do you know someone's a pastor? How do you know someone's a shepherd? The sheep follow. Look for someone the sheep is following, and that's a shepherd. And... You know, if somebody's been pastoring a church for 20 years and there's 12 people, that's a sign the sheep aren't following. And I'm not saying the church has to be a mega church, but healthy sheep be, will beget healthy sheep. Amen? And if you're fed, you're going to multiply. If you're fed, you're going to be contagious. And I don't care how many people are in, I don't care what the number is. What I care about is every one of you individuals. That's what I care about. I care that you're falling in love with Jesus. I care that your lives are being changed, that your marriages are being impacted, that you're having a, a, a deeper love for God and you're reaching out to the world around you. So every time someone new comes in here, I see yet another individual that God wants to touch, not just trying to grow the number of people that go to our church. Amen? That's what it's about. And Paul ministered and said, look, you guys understand that you are fruit of the ministry. You are fruit and proof of what God has done. And some had questioned his authority, his eloquence, even his appearance. But Paul communicated not to, to, to share his intellect in any way, not to show his earthly wisdom, because he had a burden for them. He wanted to see them know the Lord. And again, I love the, the simplicity again. Just remember this, when you're sharing your faith with somebody, don't try to baffle them with your knowledge. Do you want me to get up here and talk to you about the hermeneutics of the text and the Greek tense? You, you ever been in a church like that? the error is tense with the Greek, and the past participle of the verb. Right by me, right? My dad gave me the, some of the greatest advice for a pastor. Most of you know my dad's a pastor. I'm a PK. Praise God. But you know what? Keep the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody can reach them. <laughs> Amen? That's preaching in simplicity. And he said, you know what? That's what I did when I was there, and you guys are fruit of the ministry, and you guys are the proof that God is doing a great work. It's good to know the deep tre- truths of the word, and we all should, desire to, but we should be able to... Comp- com- communicate them in a simple way. Praise the Lord. And he was rejoicing that they were a treasure to him. They viewed him as somebody who had fallen short and he viewed them as treasure, as proof of the work God had done in, in them. His treasure wasn't in how much he could accumulate in the temporal, but how many he could reach with the eternal. Let me say that again. His treasure wasn't in how much he could accumulate in the temporal, but how many he could reach with the eternal. In the light of eternity, he could rejoice in the midst of great trials because he knew that lives were being touched and the kingdom of God was being added to. Is there anything else that matters? When we, get, when we stand before God, it's nothing else is going to matter. The only thing we take to heaven with us is people. That's it. And so that's where our focus needs to be. Last portion that we might learn to stand on our promise on his promises that a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted and in this confidence i intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit to pass by way to you way of you to macedonia to come again from macedonia to you and to be helped by you on my way to judea this section paul addresses the accusations that came that said paul you're a liar you told us in your first letter That you were going to come to us. And if you look back in chapter 16, he said, it's my desire. He said, I'm going to come to you. Now, we can look at people and we can say they said they were going to come. And they don't show up. And then we can make false accusations and go after them hammer and tongs. My prayer would be that we would learn to wait and not prejudge people. Because why wasn't Paul there? We're going to see in the text why he wasn't there. Because God had another plan. And you know what? I want to say this again openly to you guys. My heart is that I'm going to pastor this church until I die. That's my heart. But I want to say this. If God wakes me up in the middle of the night and tells me to go to China, I'm leaving tomorrow. Why? Because my life is not my own. Amen? And with sincerity before you guys, I want to tell you my heart is to never leave here. This is the passion of my life. There's nothing I would rather do with my life. But I also am not going to tell God what He can do with my life either. Amen? And so Paul had said to them, I want to come to you. It's my desire to come to you. I want to visit you on the way to Macedonia. And the word had gotten out. Well, he didn't come. Maybe he's just lazy. You don't know Paul if you think he's lazy. Amen? Not due to a lack of character, integrity, or, or sincerity, but according to God's perfect plan. And again, it was his desire to come. I intended to come to you before. It says back in chapter 16, Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I may even remain with you and spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey. So Paul's original intention changed. And he wasn't able to go that way because God had another plan. And the people attacked Paul. Now, I want to say this too. Paul wanted to come to them, and that shows his love for them. But the fact that he didn't show up, they should have... Looked at the character of the man. You know, there are some people, you could come, if you came up to me and told me that, you know, Pastor Chuck had an affair, I'd say, you're lying. Why? Now, I'm not saying he's beyond it, but I know the character of the man, amen? And I'd have to have him tell me that before I'd believe it. There are certain people, I know their character, I know their heart, I know the kind of men or women that they are. And so when, it, when someone said, you know, Paul, he's just lazy, he didn't show up, he's a liar, Wait a minute. Paul was the one that planted the church. Are you talking about him? I don't think so. Amen? Because you know his character. Let me ask you a question. If someone made an accusation about you in your neighborhood or at work, what would people say? That sounds about right. (laughs) Or would they say, no, no way. No way. I I know him. I know her. That's just not... Again, we're not above sin. We're not sinless. But as we are people of character, it should reflect to the world around us. And they should see that there's something different in us. And Paul's plans had changed, but it was because of God, not because he was being lazy or didn't want to come to them. Verse 17, Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I planned, do I plan according to the flesh? That with me there should be no yes and no? you know, No, no. He's saying, look, when I planned this, do you think I was being flip about it? Do you think that I didn't mean it? I was being insincere. And they're accusing him of being a double-minded man that when he says something he doesn't really mean it. So these enemies among the Christian church who didn't like his first letter, who thought it was too harsh, they didn't want to give up their idolatry, they didn't want to give up their sexual immorality, they didn't want to give up their, you know, suing each other. They didn't want to give it up. So he said, they said, "Oh man, you're you're too harsh and we don't believe you anymore, Paul. And we just don't trust you." But Paul's telling him very clearly, do you think I did it lightly? He defends his intentions as something that he did before God. But at the same time, he's a man who's willing to let God change his plans anytime he wants. My heart is to be here till the Lord returns, but God can do with my life whatever he wants. And that ought to be our heart, amen? Lord, this is where I am. Lord, I'm going to serve you. And he did it again. Do I make plans only to promote my comfort, or do I make plans to honor the Lord and, and, and be in obedience to him. So they, he said, do you think I'm just a double-minded man? Verse 18. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. Paul said, as God is faithful, so are we. Wow. As God is faithful and his word is faithful, so is our word to you. That's integrity. As God is true to his promises, so he has taught me to be true to mine as well. And can you and I say the same thing? Are we men and women of our word? Is our word our bond? Is our yes, yes, and our no, no. It should be. Amen? We're running late on time, but I remember one time my son, it was, it was kindergarten daddy day, some of you have heard me tell the story, and I was supposed to go to kindergarten with my son on Friday, and I totally forgot about it. I got assigned a bunch of accounts, I used to sell advertising, and it was up in Jackson, you know where that is? It's not real close to here, okay? And they gave me all these accounts, and at the last minute, I didn't even know they were signing me, oh, do you know you have these 40 accounts, and they're due on Friday? This is Tuesday. So I go home, and I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to do 40 accounts in three? It's impossible. So I go home, and then my little son comes and says, Daddy, remember Friday? You're coming to my school. Remember, you promised. Oh, this is impossible. And I went before the Lord, and I thought, you know what? I can't, if, I tell, if I don't show up, all my sons is, all my son hears is, Daddy didn't keep his word. Daddy's not a man of his word. He doesn't understand 40 accounts in Jackson. He understands it's Daddy Day. And my daddy didn't show up. So I said, Lord, help desperate it's a good place to be good trial right so i drove up there and literally by god's grace i saw it's ask somebody who does this for a living i saw 40 accounts in two and a half days I, and i was working all night stayed up all night and then got done and drove all night and drove straight to valley christian school and showed up for daddy day in kindergarten walked in the door and i was there because let my yes be yes and my no be no even to my own harm amen You give your word, follow it up. Why? Because that's what we ought to do. We represent Christ. Amen? Now, at the same time, if God has another plan for us, we need to trust Him. We need to be obedient to what God calls us to do. Verse 19, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by by me, Silvanus and Timothy, was not Yes and no, but in Him was yes. He said, you know what? The message we preached to you, everything we said of Christ was absolutely true. He's the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy. Every word we said about Him was 100% accurate. Verse 20, For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him amen to the glory of God through us. All the promises of God were fulfilled in Christ. Who's the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecy? Jesus. Who's the fulfillment of every Old Testament picture? Jesus Christ. Every bit of it. And he's saying here that he's the fulfillment of the promises of the Father. And then he says, to glory of God through who? Through us. He's talking about himself, but I believe he's talking about Christians. We need to be the fulfillment of God's promise to this world too. Amen? We need to be salt and light here. We need to reflect him to a world that so desperately needs him. Verse 21. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us in God and has seated us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. As believers, they they were one in Christ. Brothers and sisters united in the Lord. They were not adversaries divided by difference. They were called to be united. And we as the body need to learn from that lesson today. We should be united with the other churches in Santa Cruz County. Amen? I want to spend as much time, and I'm not, I have to pray for me. I'm not as good at it as I should be. Sometimes I'm so busy studying or counseling or doing other things, but I always I want to spend more time with the pastors in this town. I want to spend more time going to evangelical ministers fellowship. I want to do that. Why? Because we're on the same team. It's not about building Calvary Chapel, it's about building the kingdom of God. And I, I have a heart and a burden for that. And Paul is saying here, do you know what? You know We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and Christ has anointed us in God and has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. What's the down payment on heaven that you and I all have if we've been born again? Who is the down payment? Holy Spirit, amen? In Ephesians 1, He tells us the Holy Spirit is a down payment on heaven. Here's a down payment on the guarantee of that which is to come. He seals us. These are ownership papers. The Holy Spirit is a, a representation of who we belong to. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to God. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you've not been born again. If you've been born again, the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you, and it's a down payment on heaven. And that's exactly what He's talking about here. He has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee of that future redemption of spending, in, uh, spending heaven, eternity in heaven with God. Last two verses. Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you, I came no more to Corinth. While wow, a man. He says, I call God as my witness that what I did was for your own good. The fact that I didn't come to you was to spare you. It was for your betterment. That's a powerful testimony. He says, call God as my witness. God is the one. This is a powerful oath. And he was insisting that he did it out of concern for the Corinthian Christians, not because he was lazy, not because he wasn't a man of his word, but because God had another plan. Amen? You know what? I know that people get upset. I know a pastor here in town who said he was gonna be here for a long time and then he left and everybody rips him all the time, and that's between him and the Lord. But you know what? Let God deal with that, amen. Let God deal with that. Let's be faithful and let's let's believe the best about people. Amen? You know, if I I don't want to hear it, you know. Don't come gossip to me, I don't want to hear it. Then don't come counsel with me so you can gossip about other people. I don't want to hear that either. Amen. I want to believe the best about people and pray for people. The Holy Spirit lives inside of him, he'll bring conviction, amen? Instead of us going around, we shouldn't do that. You know that that the gossips is in the same list with murderers in the Bible. Did you know that? Because we assassinate someone's character, and they were doing that with Paul. Oh, he's a liar. He didn't come. See, he's not really his word. We didn't have to do that. We can we can just keep being idol worshippers because if he didn't show up, he's just a liar. So everything else he said doesn't mean anything, right? You know what? You're going to see your pastor make mistakes. That doesn't mean the word of God is any less true. Amen. This is the word. You don't trust in me. You trust in this. Last verse, now that we have dominion, not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for joy, but by faith, by your faith, you stand. Now listen, he says, I don't want dominion over your faith. Paul didn't want to be in charge of anybody. That was not Paul's heart. And there are pastors today who seek dominion over people. I know churches where they tell you what kind of car you can buy, and where you can live, and who you can date, and what you should be doing. And you know what? That's not the body of Christ, Amen. Now, we come for godly counsel, but I don't have dominion over you. The Holy Spirit does. God does. Amen? I, you know what? You come ask me what to do, I won't even tell you. People get mad at me. Just tell me what to do. I'm not going to do it. But just tell, No, I'll tell you what the Bible says. Amen? I can tell you what the Word of God says, but I don't have dominion over you. The Holy Spirit does. And that should be the way it ought to be in the body of Christ. And he says, for by your faith, by faith you stand. You know what? You're not going to have faith if I tell you what to do all the time. Amen? Every time you have a problem, you're going to call me. Or call of the assistant pastors. Or run to your, sometimes even your spouse. You know what? You should get godly counsel from your pastors. Wives, you should seek godly counsel from your husbands. But you know what? You need to have your own walk with God too. Amen? You need to have your own intimacy with the Lord. You go to God first, not last. Well, I tried Pastor Dave, he wasn't home, and I called to Pastor Joe, and he wasn't there, and I called Manny, and a few other people, well, I, I pray now, I guess, right? <laughs> Don't do that. Pray first, not last. And he says, you know, it's by faith, you will stand on your own faith. You want to be able to stand with God, stand in the midst of the trial. Don't always try to escape it. Say, okay, Lord, you're in control. You're using this for your glory. Help me to trust in you. And again, I want to counsel. If you want counsel, I want to give you counsel. But I want to take you to the Word and say, here's what the Bible says. What do you think you ought to do? Here's what the Word of God says. What's the Holy Spirit telling you to do? Here's what it says. Not my opinion, the Word of God. So, why do Christians have to go through difficult times? That I may know His comfort and that I may comfort others. That I may come to the end of myself and remain desperate for God. To give us an eternal perspective. It changes how we live and minister here and now. We should be living in simplicity and sincerity. And it tests our faith that we might learn to stand on His promises, that our faith might grow, and that we might be a testimony to a lost and dying world. Can I encourage you, when the next trial comes, and it will, if you're not in it already, we want to pray, we want to go before God, we want to see godly counsel, but we want to trust the Lord in the midst of it. Amen? And say, Lord, you keep me here as long as you want. Remember... That Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to be called out of the fire. Can you imagine? They're hanging out in the fire. I'd be mean, whoo, you know, right? They're 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 hanging out in there. They're just yeah, this is great. And they had to come out, come out, you servants of the Most High God. Why? Because it's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him, amen. And it's better to be in a trial in the center of God's will and letting God grow us through it and be a testimony in the midst of it than running away from it and missing out on all God wanted to do in the midst of that trial. May we be those when trials come, we can praise God in the midst of them. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the trials that you allow us to grow through, go through and grow through, Lord. Because we know that in the midst of those trials that we draw nearer to you, In the midst of those trials, Lord, we we become desperate for you. In the midst of those trials, you comfort us and you let us know that we're not alone. So Father, I pray that when trials come, our initial response would not be despair and anguish, but rejoicing, counting it all joy when we fall into various trials, knowing, Lord, that through it, we're going to come out closer to you and having been a testimony to the world around us. So, Lord, we love you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said? Amen. Everybody stand. Let's close in worship song.